Amen. So uh, Deuteronomy chapter 21, um, again, just by way of reminder, uh, the law known as Leviticus was given to the nation of Israel. And um, then we had read all of the experiences that transpired over the 38 plus years of their wanderings and their travelings through the wilderness. And now that generation that had first left out of Egypt has passed away, and the younger generation is about to enter into the promised land. And the Lord is taking Moses here and relaying, speaking through Moses, the law. So this is the second account of the law, but it's being given to that younger generation who has only heard of these things preached to them. And now they're having that first-hand experience of having the lawgiver, Moses, deliver it to them in this way. And, and we see uh, throughout the scriptures and in the world around us today what the prophet referred to as that famine of the word. How the nation of Israel had forgotten God's word many years, hundreds of years after this, not followed the word, didn't know the word, and fell into sin. And then upon being restored back into the nation, they're reading the law again, and their hearts are broken over the fact that they unknowingly had violated God's word. So it's significant that this generation we're reading about hears the word, and has an opportunity to firsthand take it in and make application of it in their lives. And so it is subsequently, years later, that generation gets to hear and apply and take it in. And then we hear this morning, hearing it again, you know, there's a lot of assumption about what the Bible says, a lot of assumption about what the Bible intends. We're getting the opportunity to firsthand review it, and see to what degree does this have application for us and our circumstances. So, Deuteronomy 21, verse 1. If anyone is found slain, literally if you find a body, someone has been killed, lying in the field in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him. Now, I, I know I'm making too much of it, but I think it's, got an effect they're not in the land yet so even this as tragic as it is is a promise that you're going to be in the land god is going to carry this out and when or if something like this transpires this is how i need you to behave listen there are ways that the lord speaks to us and i'll be blunt we don't always prepare ourselves God says, I want you to prepare yourself in a specific way. And we think, well, yeah, but that's not even going on right now in my life. And the Lord says, well, I want you to look ahead and just know that in principle, this is a thing you should be doing. And you're, you're saying to yourself, I'm saying to myself, yeah, but I don't right now have any need for that. And God says, you need to do it. You need to prepare yourself. If we would, then the benefits and the process of how do I act in those circumstances? What steps do I take? You know, what condition will my heart be in? Uh, we'll invest 
in the wrong things, right? We will invest in the wrong things, but we won't invest in the things, you know, future tense that are proper. So, Oliver, can you just handle that for us, buddy? Yeah. So, um, it's, we, we literally have a leak in the back of the room. So, you know, it, it, never mind that man behind the curtain, okay? <clears throat> um, so, uh, in this situation, here is, uh, you know, the Lord uh, say, Scott, just I want to embarrass you. No, no, here's the deal. We just discovered a leak right there where you're. Uh, uh, so, so here's the thing, you guys. How many, how many times have I said to you, when we're covering a subject, and we have this much distraction, uh, how, how important could the subject possibly be, right? So you might, you might want to, you know, if if you were drifting off, like, oh well, you know, how much is this going to affect me? Um, you know, maybe much more than we think. Okay, so uh, you might want to pay attention right here to what the Lord is saying. So, you know, maybe you aren't even going to find a dead body. Just, uh, and I'm just saying. <sighs> I'm just throwing in the comedic routine to kill time. That's all I'm doing. So if anyone uh, is found slain, lying in the field, in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess, and it is not known who killed him, then your elders and the judges shall go out and measure the distance from the slain man to the surrounding cities. And, you know, and this isn't a matter of so much of like get a tape measure, <laughs> you know, get your, you know, meter counter. This is an idea of just go to physically go to where the body is. And you know, like you or I would do consider what is the closest city from, from this point? Where's, where is the closest gathering of people in the surrounding cities and it shall be that the elders of the city nearest to the slain man will take a heifer which has not been worked and which has not pulled with a yoke the elders of that city shall bring and uh, the heifer down to the valley with flowing water which is neither plowed nor sown and they shall break the heifer's neck there in the valley. So there are a few things to consider in this picture. Uh, the first one is the value of this animal. Okay? Um, taking an animal's life uh, shouldn't be something that's easy to do emotionally, spiritually. Okay, Very necessary. But, you know, you literally, if you've watched an animal die, the life expiring from an animal can affect you emotionally. If you've seen that multiple times, it does create a callousness in your heart. Uh, the laws are still on the books, and we still do use them, that butchers are not allowed to be on juries, okay? Because they experience, you know, those that are truly taking the life of an animal in a, in a constant, steady, rhythmic way uh, are going to become callous to that loss of life. And, and the Lord is saying 
that in those circumstances it shouldn't be that you know they are part of the decision making process in life or death circumstances right because they might not have that emotional sensitivity that is necessary now you know within that don't uh, you know don't make too much of this and turn it into you know what today we're referring to as you know social justice warriors right if if life has been lost then there needs to be justice in the circumstance also what the lord is saying here is follow the logic go to the leadership of the community that is closest now generally speaking you're talking about much smaller communities than we have today towns of 7000 10000 25000 100000 that now you're getting way up into the big cities hundreds of thousands of people at this time in these circumstances you go to the leadership of that community and say to them loss of life close by you so do you know anything about this right do you know the man who was slain do you know anyone who had animosity towards that man you know was this guy a jerk to everybody or was he a jerk in general to one person right we, we've got loss of life over here looking for accountability if the elders of the city say we don't know anything about that we, we, we have no you know even if they know the man we don't know how this man came to die. We couldn't even give you any suggestion to begin talking to someone. The sacrifice that has to be made is for the loss of life, right? Levitical law, you know, there, there's been a murder, there's been a slaying. There needs to be a sacrifice to cover the sin that was involved with the loss of life. But also significantly within that, that puts the accountability on the leadership of that community to say something of tremendous value has to be sacrificed literally given or lost right you you as a community can't just sort of shrug and go well there was a murder close by right it, it would start to become well if you, if you want to murder somebody do it close to that town because nobody's even going to look into it we kind of smirk at that, but read the headlines of what's going on today, right? I mean, Chicago is crazy right now. You know, people talking about the Middle East and, oh, the insanity. I tell people I went to Israel, and they're like, how, how did you dare to go there? Okay, Israel is thousands of times more secure and safer than being in Los Angeles, right? Tens of thousands of times safer than being in Chicago. You know, it's really, you take it however you want to. I find great comfort in looking, you know, around in Israel and about every 20 feet there's somebody standing there with like, fully automatic weapon strapped i mean if something happens it's probably going to be extremely brief you know what i'm saying it's not it's not going to be a long drawn out thing 
It's going to be dealt with instantaneously. You know, little girls, cute little girls, right, with their school backpack on, in fatigues with an M16 slung over their shoulder, right? They, they all have to serve in the military. They all have to have a preparedness about them. Crime and violence is incredibly low in Israel because they are constantly prepared for it. Why? Because everyone wants to kill them. So they have to keep themselves prepared. Our, our country is what I just described to you. I said it, and many of you, right, I get to look at all of your faces. Many of you are like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, if, if you've got one city where, you know, lots of people are getting killed around it and the elders of that city just act like, well, we don't know who that was, then you would have an, a, a dramatic increase. Look, about the third time the leadership of that city has to bring a heifer out and sacrifice it and lose the value of all of that, you better believe that they're going to begin to patrol their their borders. And they're going to pay attention to what's going on. There are ruffians in the community and bad things are happening. It puts accountability on the leadership of those communities. There is a you know ritualistic spiritual aspect to this, right, of covering the sin of murder and offering and sacrifice of the animal, but the loss of life and the loss of value, if you're acting like, hey, another person died. What's that mean to me? You know what I'm saying? We didn't know that guy. He's not from our community. We don't know anything about that. Yeah, but if you've got a sacrifice, then it's going to put an emotional attachment to it to where, you know, directly, indirectly, this is starting to become your responsibility. I think that there's a profound wisdom in all of these laws that the Lord gives that's so frequently missed. You know, I think the biggest reason it's missed is because our culture doesn't even open God's word. They don't even look to these things. And then I think when a big percentage of pastors open God's word, they don't go to the Old Testament. And then if they go to the Old Testament, there's even another percentage that just sort of blasts through something like this. Like, you know, we got to cover this section too. This has application to humanity always, right? Matthew uh, tells us Jesus speaking, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. You know, yeah, right, we're watching the deterioration and the demise of our world as it decays and falls apart and gets worse and worse. But the word of God is going to remain forever. It's eternal. It's more sure. And we need to cling to it. And we need to encourage one another to cling to it. This symbol of the flowing water. You take <coughs> this heifer to the location of flowing water, and there you're going to break its neck. Flowing water throughout the scripture becomes the symbol of the Holy Spirit. That, that idea of accountability. You're going to take this to a place where the Holy Spirit's presence is symbolized. And, you know, there in that, there should be the revealing. If someone's going to make the statement of we have nothing to do with this, 
then the symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence should invoke an honesty, that, that there's a truthfulness to what's being said, that there isn't some kind of conspiracy and cover-up in this situation, the breaking of the neck, the loss of life in such a dramatic way. You know, you weren't present for the loss of this human life, but now you're going to be present for the loss of this animal's life, and it's not even going to be a thing that's just sort of surgical, quick, and easy. It's going to be very dramatic, and it's going to affect you very deeply, so that you have to take the life that is sitting there silent, the human, as, as something of gravity. I find the Lord uh, wisdom in this so profound, the, the way that he knows how to affect our emotions and to touch us in such a way that, you know, it, it does everything it can to invoke an honesty in, in the circumstances. So then the priests, verse 5, the sons of Levi shall come near for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister to him and to bless in the name of the Lord, by the word, every controversy and every assault shall be settled. And all the elders of that city nearest the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. Then they shall answer and say, our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. And, and that statement of our eyes seen it is the accountability to the actual act, but it also invokes the idea of we have no knowledge of this, right? Yeah, I wasn't here, and I didn't see this transpire, but also I can't give you any details. They can't stand there and say, you know, I was present when Joe Schmo said he hated this man and wanted to kill him, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut right now. I'm not going to say anything about that. This is the moment where if there's any knowledge of what transpired, right, because they're very careful, well, we've already read about if someone had hated someone previously and caused their death, then it's first degree to murder. We just went through the discussion about the cities of refuge. So, so in this case, if someone can raise question, right, and, and we've also heard there has to be the mouth of two or three witnesses, right? So if there is accusation, this is the moment where it needs to be brought to light, and then the, the inquisition will begin. You know, they bring the man forward and ask the questions about where were you on these specific times, and, you know, to what degree was this anger and animosity between your you and this other person? So, so the spiritual... And the civil leadership has to come together and they have to clear themselves and the city of any guilt regarding this circumstance. There has to be a complete innocence. This is the, you, can, you don't get to come and show up later and go, well, actually, I did know about certain circumstances. Very systematic in the way that the Lord wants these things uh, to be dealt with. All the elders of the city nearest to the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer whose neck was broken in the valley. Then they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, nor have our eyes seen it. Provide atonement. I'll dwell on that word again, right? Atonement. 
at one meant. Uh, sin separates humanity from God. Adam and Eve, having rebelled against God, were separated from fellowship with him. From that moment forward, God is striving to repair the relationship with them, make himself at one with humanity, his creation. This sin, murder, is going to separate someone. And it has the possibility, of, if it's hidden within the community, of affecting the whole community. So that they are coming here with the gravity of death, saying, with this sacrifice, we are seeking the correction of what this murder would have created, the breaking of fellowship with God. We, we as a community want you know, atonement in this. Imagine if a whole community uh, were this broken about these circumstances that are happening around us today in such commonplace. You know, reading yesterday about an 11-year-old involved in the drive-by shooting, you know, pulling the trigger. Our, our culture is so callous, so incredibly callous to human, especially human life. It's just remarkable the place where we've come to. Provide atonement, O Lord, for your people, Israel, whom you have redeemed, and do not lay innocent blood to the charge of your people, Israel. And atonement shall be provided on their behalf for the blood. So you shall put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. You have to take the loss of life. You know, I want to be clear about the organization of Black Lives Matters. One more time. Of course, of course. Black Lives Matter. There's, there's no question about that. You know, of course, the atrocities committed against the African-American community during the period of slavery uh, were absolutely sinful and wrong. And we as a nation, right, and people don't get this, <clears throat> William Wilberforce, England, uh, the uh, the abolition of slavery stemmed from the American Constitution. Yes, slavery was being promoted here, but it was the fact that the document said all men are created equal that compelled the movement, which ultimately, and people don't realize this, we as a nation settled that in our civil war. That, that, that we shed the blood, right? You know, different pockets of, of you know, uh, civil change and legal change had occurred. But when America rose up and fought for the complete freedom of the slaves here in this nation, it ended the argument once and for all worldwide. We're the nation that shed its blood to end slavery. Okay, so, so, so all of this stuff, the talk of the founding of this nation being upon the backs of the slaves, that's all garbage. We as a nation are the ones who, who fought 
to create a freedom from slavery worldwide. America didn't start it. No, you know, I say this and people get really ruffled because the, the most stark origin of slavery belongs to the Muslims in northern Africa. They are the ones who, who, who instituted and promoted and codified the attack upon those poor people and what went on. This nation fought against it and brought it to an end. And we paid a dear price, a dear price. through the. Of course, black lives matters. Here's a concept. I don't know how much you have studied your uh, origins and your heritage, right? I've been accused of being racist, been accused of being part of that whole system. My family didn't even arrive here till all of that was done, right? We're all Irish. And we moved here after the potato famine, right? It was all over by the time. And we were treated as miserably as all of the other minorities upon arriving. I'm not trying to claim any attachment to those who were enslaved and abused. But what's happening in our culture today, the division that's being generated, in our culture today, it's ridiculous. You know, I signed the petition. Uh, I, I will, and, and this is going to seem super petty when I say it. I signed the petition to have nothing to do with the NFL. Okay? And you're, if you are not aware of that, there's a petition online. Okay, <laughs> tens of thousands of people have already signed. I have not watched a single game this season, and I will not. And I will have nothing to do with the NFL, right? And the biggest reason is because they are now playing the national anthem where which a number of the athletes kneel, protesting this nation, protesting in particular our law enforcement, and and they now play the black national anthem. Well, here's the thing. There's only one nation. You don't get to play another national anthem. This is the National Football League. You are dividing us by doing... I want to be united with the black, the African-American community. I want to be. I love them. I, I want us all to be knit together as one nation, right? Whatever wrongs there really are, not the imagined ones, the pretend ones, and the made-up ones, but whatever wrongs there really are, those things need to be addressed and dealt with. I agree with all of that, 100%, with no hesitation. There are things being done wrong. There is racism. There is you know, the need for correction. I get that. But what Black Lives Matters as an organization is doing is dividing this nation. And all of these organizations that are cooperating with those efforts are dividing this nation. What we need is unity. We need to get together, right? We, we, the scripture itself says, God himself said, there is one nation and one blood. All of the human race, there's only one race. Only one. There aren't separate races. There's, there's only the human race. 
And, and I know who, I know who would want to pit us against one another and cause for the death of all of the human race. The enemy of the human soul, Lucifer himself, the devil. And anyone who cooperates with that, I'm opposed to. I am opposed to. And all Christians everywhere should be Al Sharpton, you know, Jesse Jackson and the like. All these men through history who have historically created such division. Civil rights? Absolutely, without question. Without question. That needed to happen and needs to continue to happen. The balance needs to occur of respect and love. Absolutely. But what is happening by and large in our nation is division. It's not a correction of the problem. It's a furtherance of the problem. You know, make sure you're involved with caring for the innocent and looking for these situations. Don't put yourself in the place where you're furthering the problem. Can't just shrug it off. Need to take seriously the loss of human life. 21.10. When you go out to war against your enemies, and the Lord your God delivers them into your hand, and you take them captive. Now, that's a loaded statement, and we'll look a little bit more at the things that are going on and what the Lord has to say. But let me just address war. There's a need for war. Right? Uh, you know, it's... Listen, Afghanistan and the pullout and the people right now that are saying, well, we, we needed to pull out. Okay, the way you're currently doing things, you're right. You need to pull out. But what you really needed to do was go there and make Afghanistan America. People don't like that. You needed to abolish, right, the Taliban. You needed to stay there and set up controlling for, oh, you needed to colonize? If that's what you want to call it, okay, you got to recognize the insanity of what's going on in that culture. Okay? I mean, how about this? Maybe you're not aware of this. High-ranking leadership inside Afghanistan came to America and talked to high-ranking officials inside American medical communities and gave them assurances that they could supply the opiates that were needed for the opium crisis that we're currently experiencing. The opium that is in the medical community and in the heroin on the streets comes from Afghanistan. Our soldiers are over there, you guys. This is going to blow your mind. Protecting poppy fields. When this is our whole method, yeah, you're right. We need to not be involved. What we should have done is arrive there and bulldozed and burned the poppy fields. They let these American businessmen in the pharmaceutical industry change the American laws. How, you, you understand how far back this goes? Remember when OxyContin hit the streets? 
What they don't tell you is the larger portion of that market was black market. It wasn't the prescriptions that were filling the streets. The, the prescriptions were creating the addicts. What was filling the streets, the actual Oxycontin that was filling the streets, was produced on the black market from Afghanistan. There need, do you agree with the concept that there needs to be police officers, right? I mean, hopefully every head is saying yes. Do you understand that there needs to be world policing? Our troops, if they were being fueled and led by righteousness, bringing to an end the wickedness of the likes of the Taliban, right? That, okay, now, now go another direction. Because all that money that they're saying thank you very much and putting in their pockets from our opium purchases, what are they doing with it? Training terrorists. So our payment for opium is generating terrorism. This is the stupidity we're involved in, you guys. As a nation, we really do need war in order to get rid of this stuff. But here's the thing. Thank you very much, General Milley. Are you paying attention to what's happening inside the leadership of our military? The betrayal and the corruption. And so how can we wage war? How can we do any of this righteously? Because the people have to be righteous in order to do this. You can't wage war if you're not worshiping Jesus Christ. You're never going to be able to do any of this correctly. So when we're reading Ecclesiastes, right, and there's a time for peace, and there's a time for war, there's a time for love, and there's a time for hate, you're never going to know how to do war or how to do hate unless you're worshiping the one who created you. You're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong. Parents in this room, you've corrected and disciplined your children. And sometimes you've done it in the flesh, haven't you? Unfortunately. No, you haven't. I have. I'm sure you have. There have been times where you've done it peaceably and you've done it in the spirit also. And, and maybe, maybe your correction of your children in the spirit was even more harsh, right? Because you, maybe you're thinking like flip out. You know what the bigger danger is? You're in the flesh and your child is in sin and you so identify with it that you're far too lenient with it. That's, that's more sinful, right? I'm not talking about you were in the flesh and you did something that was over the top and terrible. I'm talking about you didn't do it properly because you were in sin. What we are doing, right? When you wage war. Don't read that, right? This isn't just Will's opportunity to vent. I didn't come to that verse and think, oh, here we go. I get to just run my mouth. What I'm saying to you, you guys, is when we read a statement about going to war, you, you got to rewind back and look at the character of a nation and say, are we capable of going to war right now? Look at, look at the leadership of our nation. Okay? 
and think about them handling anything right. Right now, they are going to bumble their way through. And even, right, the previous administration, as much as some of us liked the leadership there, look at the knuckleheads he was surrounded by. Human beings in control, it's always going to generate terrible things because human beings are corrupt. What we need as a nation is repentance. We need people who worship Jesus Christ with an absolute sincerity. No hypocrisy. You know, stand in some of those political rallies and realize, you know, all of these people are aligned with me on certain points. And on other points, they are completely misaligned with things pertaining to my king, right? Because I'm not actually there representing an earthly kingdom. I'm there representing the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And there are so many of them in those crowds who are not. No? It's very easy for me to identify who they are often, right? I'm not a Facebook surfer, but... Uh, you know, I do periodically need to know somebody's, you know, connection point, address, whatever. Go look it up. And man, the things they've been posting for the last month. My goodness. You're literally left going, is this a child of God? With this behavior, this post, these statements. You know, I don't see Jesus. You know, I just can't imagine for one second Jesus posting this. Who are we? Where are we at? War, yeah. When you go to war, let's just get back to the subject here. There's war that's necessary. But we shouldn't just be bloodthirsty and think, oh, there's a justification right there. It says it in the scripture. War. Hooray. <laughs> no, no. You've got to be aligned with Jesus Christ before you ever even know how to handle circumstances such as this. When you go out to war against your enemies, the Lord God delivers them into your hand and you take them captive and you see among the captives a beautiful woman and desire her and would take her for your wife. Then you shall bring her home to your house and she shall shave her head and trim her nails. She shall put off the clothes of her captivity, remain in your house and mourn her father and her mother a full month. After that, you may go into her and be her husband, and she shall be your wife. And it shall be, if you have no delight in her, then you shall set her free, but you certainly shall not sell her for money. You shall not treat her brutally, because you have humbled her. Now, let's clarify some things. The commentators do some really stupid stuff with that passage. <clears throat> if you are part of the party that goes to war and you've killed all of the soldiers and you've taken as captives the citizens and there is an attractive woman that you think I'd like to have her as wife. Now to start with, the scripture is implying that the desire comes entirely from the flesh. 
right? You've seen her and desired her. So the desire doesn't come, the motivation in this statement doesn't come from the spirit. It comes from the flesh, right? Lust of the eyes, right? Lust of the flesh, the pride of life. See, desire. Get rid of the first elements of the visual. She's got to shave her head. Not just cut her hair. She's got to shave her head. Not just trim her nails. Cut her nails completely off so that they don't have any cosmetic beauty at all. Is what's being said. And then you've got to live with this woman who's in a state of mourning, right? Because she's losing her entire culture. She's losing all of her relationships. She's going to be in a deep state of mourning. Look, if she doesn't just plummet into a state of depression, you probably don't want to hang out with this chick. If she can just lose her all of her home, her upbringing, her family, her parents, her loved ones, and just be like, hey, yeah, no big deal. That might be dangerous to hang out with. Right, someone who's that shallow, she's going to nosedive. Now, how attractive is she to you? Right, I don't know if you've ever hung out with a deeply depressed woman. Right, right, the differences of emotion we talk about that often. You know, men they'll say men are you know don't have emotions, and women have I disagree. Right, men are very emotional, right. But in contrast, don't please try not to be offended, sisters. Women are an emo, a, an ocean of emotion, right? It's very, very deep and it's very, very powerful. She's going to sink into a depression. So, so she shaved her head. She's cut off all of her cosmetic beauty and sunk into a massive depression of mourning. And you're going to hang out with her for a month. Okay. Now, the last statement of now you can marry her, but if she displeases you, don't, don't misalign the statements and think uh, you can marry her and let's be blunt, have sex with her. But then if she displeases you, just get rid of her. That's not what's being said. What's being said is you can marry her, but but if she is a displeasure to your, her, then you can't marry her and be intimate with her. You must release her. That's what's being said. Before the marriage, before the intimacy occurs, you need to decide whether you can live with this woman. See her in the raw. I think that there's a profound sense of dating uh, recommendation in this. You know, if you're going to find your spouse online, Maybe you need to take these steps right here. Get rid of all, right? You know, the, the fake cosmetic online presentation. You know, hang out with them and see them in the raw. Got to hang out with a woman for a month. I guarantee you there's going to be a, a certain time period in that month where you get to see her in the raw. The personality's just going to come right full bore, 
you know, straight into your face. How about this? This will seem very different, but, you know, you can take it any way you want to. Whenever they find a man who's been shot straight in the face, they go look for his wife or his girlfriend. Because when they question her, inevitably what she says is, I just wanted to make him shut up. <laughs> okay. The ocean of emotion. Gentlemen, you've got to learn to be an incredibly gracious spirit-filled, Jesus-led human being in order to be kind and gentle and understanding with these dear women. You've gone through such a loss at this. Oh, you think she's attractive? How about when she's at her worst state? Do you still love her? And I don't mean just, yes, I signed the contract. I'm committed to this. I mean, do you go through the actions of loving her? Yeah, I was with my wife and saw a plaque years ago that said, love me the most when I least deserve it because that's when I need it the most. You know, th this statement right here is not some kind of permission to the men of Israel to just go take women. This is a matter of you're at war, which is an insanely emotional experience. You see a woman that you think you're attracted to. Let's get rid of all of the things that would cause you to be attracted to her in the flesh and see if you are still committed to loving her. I, I find that to be some of the most practical premarital counseling you can possibly find because there's going to be lots of that is there not men and women right ladies there's going to be many many days where you have to put up with him because he has very similar characteristics does he not you know here's the thing that bugs a lot of men when i say it uh, the sociologists and the psychologists have studied men and they've come to find that we go through a monthly hormonal cycle also. And usually when I say that, the men in the room are like, no! <laughs> you know, talk to the missus. She's probably kept track of her calendar somewhere. It's interesting. The screwed up way we look at our fellow human beings and the Lord right there is just saying you got to slow down and consider what you're doing you don't get to act like the other nations that just goes in bonks them over the head with a big stick and drags them back to the cave which is what the other nations were doing you think you think you love this woman who's just been captured in this armed conflict then you're going to have to take some very careful steps to ensure that you actually love her. Th think about how gracious and merciful kind and kind God is in putting this in place. You're going to go to war? Okay, sometimes it's necessary. When you come out of that, you make sure that your behavior is reflective of your Heavenly Father. 
not just the other brutal, warring nations that are around you. I think there's a great kindness. You know, so many read that and all they see is women being taken captive. What I, what I hear in that is the Lord saying, don't, don't behave like a monster. You've got to be far more kind than that. You were part of conquering her nation. And now you're going to show her love and affection. Oh, there's going to there's gonna have to be a lot of wooing to win her over. Right? All she's ever going to recognize is that flag you wear on your sleeve. And how it came in and destroyed her nation. How she There's going to have to be a lot that happens in her heart to ever be given over to you. Consider, consider the applications in our own world, our own lives. We'll uh, read this next section at least. I know we're getting close to time. If a man has two wives, I would just say he's out of his ever-loving mind. You know what I'm saying? Really. Don't take it as an endorsement. God does not condone this. Nowhere in the scripture. God, God only condemns having more than one spouse. He never once endorses it. What he's saying right here is, since you're going to do this, <laughs> let me give you some advice as to how to handle the stupid situation you just created for yourself. So, if a man has two wives, one loved and the other unloved, that's a horrible thought, and they have borne him children, both the loved and the unloved, and if the firstborn son is of her who is unloved, then it shall be on the day he bequeaths his possessions to his sons that he must not bestow firstborn status on the son of the loved wife in preference of the son of the unloved, the true firstborn. But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has, for he is the beginning of his strength. The right of the firstborn is his. Listen, I know many of you are serious students of the scripture, and you're automatically thinking like Jacob and Esau, and you know, you've got Joseph's sons and you know, all of the different applications. Yeah, and look how terrible those situations turned out when this was not obeyed. Again, this is not in any way God saying, it's okay to have multiple wives, and it's okay to have one wife that you really love and another one that you don't really care for. It's okay. It's okay. God's not saying that at all. He's saying, since you're going to disobey me, then when you do this, this is how you must conduct yourself so that you do not create an unfair animosity. Firstborn, if you had, you know, three sons, then you were to divide the inheritance over three, but then the firstborn gets a double portion. 
He gets double of what everyone else does. That was the law of the firstborn and the birthright. And the Lord is saying, whoever that firstborn is, that's the one you think. It doesn't matter about affections. It doesn't matter, right? Divide evenly. And then, you know, if you do have a closeness of relationship, then you're going to go do that anyway. But you have to, you have to purposely demonstrate that you're following God's mandates with an equality that only comes from him. That only comes from him. Listen, I can tell you, right, I have three daughters. And I can tell you that I understand this law of giving more to the firstborn now that I've had three children. Why? Because the first child is the experiment. You know, my my eldest daughter, Christian, has at times looked at it and, you know, not felt especially affectionate about the fact that she was the eldest. Because I was figuring out how to be a parent. And I was doing things, you know, apply this all the way across the board. I'll try to end with this story. Little kids, and they don't want to eat their food. And we went to McDonald's. We're waiting for her mom to get out of work. And it's just my oldest daughter, Christian, and I. The other two haven't even arrived in the world yet. And uh, we need to just eat lunch and get out of this place. And we no sooner have begun eating than my daughter starts saying, I really want dessert. want that ice cream. And I say, well, the only way we get dessert is if we eat our meal and you're not eating your meal so if you eat your meal you get the ice cream oh emotional breakdown and we go through all kinds of fighting and up and down and back and forth and now I've finished my meal and I've got a little bit of time and I'm just patiently waiting and encouraging and I'm reading the newspaper it was that long ago and I'm encouraging her to just eat her meal and she's got so persistent that I physically turned and I put the newspaper up so that I'm just in my own world. And I am sincerely just reading the paper. And all at once, the little voice on the other side says, all done. And I fold the paper and look, and it's all gone. And for half a second, I think, wow, that's impressive. And then a moment later, I think that was far too quick. And I look under the table, and there's the meal on the floor. And I look back up, and she's all red-faced and scared, and I say, I'm sorry. You saw your meal on the floor, and therefore, you're not getting any dessert. And she starts to pucker all up, and I just open my newspaper and try to hide behind it. And I go back to reading. And just a moment later... This muffled little voice says, now I'm all done. And I fold the paper down really quick, and she's filled her face. She's gotten all of the food off the floor and jammed it in her mouth. Why didn't I think for one second that was going to happen? Why, why Why did I let my daughter do that? 
you know, oh, I felt, and I'm trying to tell her to spit it out. Now she's fighting with me because she wants dessert. You know what I'm saying? I'm just down on the floor. And I can't believe you did that. And we go through this big thing. And I buy her the biggest dessert I possibly can. And, you know, I let her spit it out. It's just crazy. Bad parenting. You know what I'm saying? She's missing all my cues by just a half a second, man. What We learn, do we not? And th- those people are so special. They, they teach us so much. And, and the rest of our children and the rest of our family gets to benefit, right, from the training wheels that we were, you know, going through in, in, in learning the process. You know, the others may not recognize. Why do they get double portion? I, I couldn't even take all the time in the world to explain to you why they deserve. God's grace. God's grace, man. You know, that, that, that these dear children were given to us as a gift, and we go through the process and we learn. And, and here is God's command. And, you, you know, if you really spend some time thinking about this whole thing, you begin to see at least a fraction of what God is saying here about how precious children are, how precious families are and whatever other affections listen right don't marry another person i'm not saying that at all that is not god's will but what are their other affections touch and test your heart when it comes to your children pay attention to them the way that god commands invest in them the way that god commands if if there's one thing i could do differently you know, people say that if I could do it again, it would be to invest even more heavily in my kids. Right. I think my kid, I think my kids would tell you that that I've invested heavily in them, that over the years I've spent a tremendous amount of time uh, doing and being and teaching and instructing and guiding. I've spent a tremendous amount of time with my family and with my children. Been blessed to be able to do that. But I tell you again, if I could do it all over again, I would spend even more. I would invest in them. So however that may apply to you, consider what the Lord is saying and, and find ways to obey what the Lord is saying. You know, Minister to them. Impart to them what you can. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. We'll pray. Mark the position and pick up at verse 18 uh, when we're together again, unless, of course, we're in the presence of the Lord, which would be the greatest answer we could ever receive. Father, we are grateful. Lord, again, I can't thank you enough for protecting the Mawini family. I pray you would pour your blessing out upon them. We've prayed that many times. And we we pray, pray so fervently. Lord, that you would just care for them in every way. Comfort the children. Be with them as a family. Help us, Lord, to apply the things that we've read and heard here this morning to our own lives, our own behavior. We long to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.